Welcome to Question Mark, the podcast. Exploring the greatest story ever told with open minds and open hearts. We light it up, we won't come down. And the sun can't stop us now. Watching it come true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show, where it's covered in all the colored lights. And the runaways are on in the night. Impossible comes true, it's taking over you. This is the greatest show. Well, welcome everybody yet again to Question Mark, the podcast. I'm delighted today to be introducing to you in a minute a very special guest. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of a background to the podcast, if you've never listened to before, this is an exploration of the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's the greatest story ever told. And I can say that confidently because I think that's what Mark himself implies very strongly in the opening verse of this Gospel. It's the most important story ever told. Um, and it's wonderful to be able to look at it in some depth over these series of podcasts and if you love listening to this and you'd like to listen to more do please follow or subscribe and do tell your friends and don't forget leave a comment um, as well we'd love to hear from you so without further ado on to this episode and I'm absolutely thrilled that uh, a good friend of mine Mark Whitmore has joined me today now, Mark is a very, very talented guy. I'm not just saying that because he happens to be in the same Zoom chamber as me. It's true. Um, and rather than me trying to describe who he is and what he does, uh, I'd love it if, Mark, if I could ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself and um, also how you know me, because I think that would be quite interesting from the, for the listeners to listen to. Very good. Well, I um, this is the worst part of the podcast for me, talking about myself. But um, I have uh, had a career in Hollywood, basically, my whole adult life. I've been a manager and managed um, a lot of well-known celebrities and music people, actors, um, authors, all sorts of people in the entertainment world. So that's been my that's been my world. I know that many of the people that you've had on the podcast previously are preachers, Bible study leaders, scholars. I'm not that. So today you're going to get a little bit different uh, perspective from a guy who really is just a guy. I'm just a guy in the entertainment business. Uh, that's how I make my living and uh, work in TV and film, stage and music, uh, all those areas, books. Um, so my perspective is going to be just as a, a guy. I've been a believer my whole adult life. So I'm not a, uh, I'm not a pagan necessarily, but I am certainly, uh, I circulate in a pagan world. Uh, that's kind of the world I circulate in, in Hollywood. And then in, in London when I'm there and I'm there, you know, every month, uh, except if we have a pandemic or something, sometimes I put a pause on, uh, on, uh, being in London, but otherwise I'm in London every month and, um, uh, and, uh, I work there and I work in Los Angeles. So that's a little bit about me. Um, I have a, we have a mutual friend, Steph, um, a mutual friend, a guy named Mark Markowitz, who uh, introduced us. And he said, I wonder if you'd meet with a friend of mine. He's an actor who's doing uh, a stage version of Gospel of Mark. And of course, I say yes to just about every meeting uh, anybody asked me to take. So I wasn't really thinking much about it until we got to the day of the meeting. And I started thinking about the Gospel of Mark. And I started thinking about doing it as a stage play. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting? And I think I may have looked up a, a YouTube video of you performing. And I thought, you know, this is really quite compelling. And uh, so we met, you and I met, I think you came up to Victoria Station. And we met at the Grosvenor House and uh, just outside uh, Victoria and had a tea and, um, and had a really nice, quite long conversation, I think. And... Um, I was a little intrigued by this idea of presenting the gospel of Mark on stage um, and was really happy to be able to assist with some advice and some other things because uh, I love stage, I love theater, but especially the gospel of Mark and especially the fact that everything that's on stage is 100% true. 
Yeah. Everything in this play is 100% true. And you can't say that about every play that a lot of times it's opinion or it's a thought or it's a certain way of looking at things. But the gospel of Mark is inspired by God and, and written down by men, but a, a factual account of Jesus' life. And I thought, what could be a more interesting stage play than that? So that's how our relationship started. I got sort of pulled in. I got uh, intrigued by it. And then, of course, enjoyed the friendship with you, Steph. And, and as we've met many, 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 many times uh, over the years now, uh, we've developed a friendship, I think, uh, between the two of us. Yeah. So it's not just uh, it's not just a work project for me. It's certainly a, uh, a passion project for me as well. It's so cool to hear that. And Mark, thank you so much. Uh, I have to tell the listeners, uh, trying to spare Mark's blushes, uh, that I do owe uh, an awful lot to this man. Um, I still feel quite green in what I'm doing, um, learning the trade, as it were. And here is a, a gentleman who has many years experience, scores of years of experience in the theatrical world, and yet is a devout believer and someone who's personally believes in the project I Am Mark um, in a way that gives me great confidence and a sense of, uh, yeah, gratitude, really. And uh, it's really good to, to be working with you, Mark. Um, and I'm very grateful for all that advice that you've given me, both in terms of being an actor and working in, in, in the professional sense, but also in the way in which you've occasionally directed me. I remember having some very great, a great session in Southampton once when uh, you just said, what about the chair? <laughs> if you thought, actually, you can make much more of the chair than you do. And uh, that was the start of a journey. Um, I think the chair is a more talented actor, <laughs> if I would be honest. He's certainly got a lot more character. At least the pay, the pay is right and the, the actor will never talk back. So in some ways, it's a very dependable actor, yes. Yeah, absolutely. He's not cracked under the pressure yet, literally. <laughs> um, but even, even in our first meeting, I remember very clearly how you said, you know, you could, add, you could, you could do this with a, a degree of nuance. Um, and even in the Grosvenor House uh, in Victoria, you, you started showing me how a narrator like Mark might have delivered this. Um, yeah. with a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm recalling a deeply felt experience, a memory, if you like, um, which made it come alive for me. Yeah. yeah. It's not a recitation. It's a, it's a, it's an anecdote. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and Steph, you know, you think about the book of Mark, it's sort of unique amongst the gospels in a way. It, it's sort of, it was sort of written as if they thought, you know, in a couple of thousand years, a guy from Southampton is going to want to put this on stage. We need to make this dramatic. Uh, it's, uh, it's written in such a way that it really is a narrative of Jesus' life. Unlike the other Gospels, Mark um, doesn't get into a lot of the detail of his early life and his birth and his genealogy and all those things. This is really just the dramatic story of Jesus' ministry. Yeah. On Earth. So it makes it very uh, appropriate for a stage production and, and for a stage telling and very uh, com compelling to listen to, I think, because we're listening to a story and you're telling it maybe like it was told in the early church. And uh, I think scholars believe that Mark's gospel was the first gospel written. I believe that's correct. Uh, by the way, I want to put a little... Um, I want to put a little um, asterisk by everything that I say. As I said, I'm 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 an entertainment manager. I'm, an, I'm a manager in the entertainment business, not a not a Bible teacher or a pastor. So if I get something wrong on here, it's not uh, it's not on purpose. So people may want to double check every single thing I say today, just to make sure I don't I don't mess it up too badly. But I think Mark was the first gospel, and and as such, it was. It was the letter that was being taken around to the early groups of, of believers around that part of the country and, and was read aloud. And I can just imagine that the reader would get excited when he was talking about the miracles and what Jesus said and what, I mean, it was, 
it must have come alive for that early church. It must have. Yeah. It must have been thrilling uh, for them to hear these stories from essentially from a firsthand uh, experience um, told from a well, secondhand actually, but told by a firsthand observer yeah. and written down by a secondhand uh, person, of course. But nevertheless, um, I, I think that audiences today watching this on stage probably get some of that same kind of thrill to relive it, to hear it in a new way. I mean, it's one thing to read something on the page and, and to be distracted and and the, the television's on and the dog's barking and uh, the doorbell rings and all that sort of thing. It's another thing to be in a quiet room mm -hmm. with nothing else going on, lights are down except for the one on the stage and hearing a compelling story of the life of Christ. Yeah. Uh, there's no more fascinating life that's ever lived in the history of mankind. And so to see this on stage, I think is a, is a wonderful thing. And I think you do it very well. But I also think that the writer of the book of Mark did a very good job of giving us the kinds of details that, that make Jesus become more human to us, yes. but also more divine. Yes, that's a, that's a very powerful summary. I, I agree. Just picking up on your description there of what it must have been like, I think it must have been yeah, it must have been the actual, the play, if you like. Uh, it, it must have been the narrator that captured the imagination. But also the sense that you're listening to a profound story in a group of people. You know, you're not there by yourself like you were watching TV. The energy yeah. in that audience must have been profound. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. It's kind of exciting to think about. It is, isn't it? Yeah. But uh, we better talking about Jesus and um, in the way you just uh, picked up on the fact that he's human uh, but he's also there's this strong sense of his divinity in Mark um, we, we we have today to look at a particular passage haven't we um, from the story and it's uh, Mark chapter 2 and uh, verses 18 to 22 and the title of this episode is called Jesus questioned about fasting now if you're watching this on YouTube, you will see an actual extract uh, from the film, I Am Mark, um, courtesy of CMAX TV. But if you're listening, you'll be hearing my good friend, Lucy Warner, who as always has kindly uh, deigned to read the passage for us. So without further ado, let's listen to the passage. Jesus questioned about fasting. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So there it is, Mark. That's the passage. What? In just listening to that again, um, any general thoughts that spring to mind that you'd like to raise before we tackle the nitty gritty? You know, I'm struck by the fact that Jesus today in 2021, 2022, whenever people are going to be listening to this, we think of Jesus and we think of Christianity, but we think of Jesus as a, as an authority figure. We think of him as he's, 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 uh, he's traditional, he's, uh, he's part of the establishment. But in these days, in this passage, we see that Jesus was a contrarian in a way. John Stott wrote a book, I think in 1970, it was based on some sermons that he'd been doing since 
1963, I think, uh, Christ the Controversialist. Um, and Jesus was controversial. He was not part of the establishment. He was on the outside. And many of us feel like we're on the outside. We're not, we feel like we're not part of the establishment. We're not part of tradition. We, uh, Jesus is a perfect fit for people like that. Yes. Because Jesus himself was controversial. So I think you had just studied previously to this passage. Um, the, the Pharisees were already questioning Jesus because of Levi, of his relationship with Levi Matthew. And I'm sure you discussed in that podcast that Levi was a tax collector. He was uh, shunned by society. I mean, the, the Jews hated him because, in fact, I think he probably was disqualified from coming to the temple or to the uh, synagogue anymore because of his position as a tax collector for the Roman government. And uh, he was just shunned. But that's who Jesus went to. He went to the people outside the system. And uh, I think, you, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but the Pharisees just, Jesus just got under their skin. Everything they liked about tradition, Jesus was against. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the Pharisees, uh, I think five times in the book of Mark, we, we see that Jesus was, um, Jesus was um, coming against the Pharisees and their, and their traditions, and, and he was doing things differently, and it really bothered them, yeah. because they had had control over the people, and these are the laws, and these you must follow, and these are the things you must do right to, to get close to God, and they had a very strict set of rules. Well, first thing we see in the gospel of Mark, I'm sure you do it in your stage performance, but we saw that uh, uh, Jesus healed the, the paralytic that was let down from the roof and Jesus healed him. And, uh, and then, and then he, he took on Levi, the tax collector and, and, and had dinner with him, with him and other outcasts from society. That's who Jesus hang out, hung out with. And then in this portion of scripture, we see now that the Pharisees who loved to fast and fasted twice a week, every week, they always fasted, uh, and, and John's disciples as well. Some scholars say that John's disciples were fasting uh, because John was in prison. So they were mourning, they, yeah. were, they were worried, they were yeah. fasting and praying for God to deliver John from prison. Uh, but the Pharisees, of course, fasted twice a week, every week, uh, just to show how religious they were. Yeah. The Bible, of course, uh, or the, uh, the, the scriptures never commanded anybody to fast twice a week. And uh, that was something they're commanded to fast during Yom Kippur, um, once a year. That's the only commanded fast yes. for the Jewish people. But the Pharisees thought, well, if one fast a year is good, twice a week must be super good. We must be super spiritual if we fast twice a week. Um, so that was, the, that was the attitude of the Pharisees coming in. This is some action that we can do that will just show God how religious we are. And Jesus and his disciples, of course, are not fasting. Yeah. Uh, and Jesus has something pretty interesting to say to them. Yeah. He says, you know, when the, when the bridegroom is with you, you can't fast. There'll come a time when the bridegroom will go away and, and then you can fast. Yeah. But when the bridegroom's with you, you don't fast. And that sounds like a, just a little thing to say, but it was actually Jewish tradition. And the Pharisees knew this very, very well. In fact, there was an old document. I can't remember what the name of it was. I think I've written it down here. It was uh, the um, it was a it was a, a Jewish document called the Megalot Anit, and it basically said it forbid fasting on joyous occasions. Uh -huh. 
Right. And uh, so when Jesus said, you can't fast when the bridegroom's with you, what he was basically saying is when you're having a wedding party, you're yeah. forbidden to fast. You can't fast okay. during that time. And I'm the bridegroom and I'm here and we're having, it, we're currently having a wedding party. Now, at some point, the bridegroom is going to go away and then you can fast. But so just to jump and check, you're, you're saying that he's using the situation which the Pharisees have objected to as a teaching aid now. He's actually using that and saying, this is what I'm really about. <laughs> and it's different to what you think being religious is all about. It's something along those lines. Absolutely. And he's also using their own laws, ah, their, yeah. own, their own rabbinic law, that you're not allowed to fast on a joyous occasion. It's, it's against rabbinic law. I didn't and, realize that. That's really interesting. I mean, I, when I read this passage, I thought, yeah, when you wouldn't normally fast at a wedding anyway. <laughs> Someone's taken, you know, a lot of time and trouble to prepare this absolutely gorgeous food. Yes. And uh, a lot of money has been spent and you've been invited. You don't just sit there and look at it, do you? <laughs> you absolutely have to, you, in fact, you go to the other extreme sometimes and enjoy a real feast. Um, Absolutely. In, in, in those days, in Jesus' days, and, and I, we saw it actually in, in other Gospels, uh, when Jesus turned the water into wine, and, and we've seen it, you know, that sort of thing. That was, it was a religious, it, 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 was, a, it was a feast. It was a, a time of, of rejoicing. And we think of a wedding, I'm going to a wedding on Saturday, and it'll be a, a one-day affair. It'll be a, a wedding, and then there'll be a dinner after, and it'll be very nice, but it's one day. But in Jesus' day, they were seven days. Wow. Uh, they had a wedding, and, and for seven days, you ate and you drank and, and you had wine and you, uh, you rejoiced in this wedding. Um, and uh, the rabbinic law said, you're not to fast during those times. You're not to, you're not to come in and say, well, I, I appreciate all this great food and wine, but you know, I'm fasting. I, I, can't t I can't partake. It just would put a downer on the, on the, on the celebration. If uh, can you clarify then a little bit more then that this is fascinating because he's basically turned the situation completely around and saying this is a completely different occasion. Yes. Right and he's also from what you've told us so far, he's, he's saying it involves me. It's about me, about he's implying the bridegroom character. Yes. Parable, for, I guess yes. what it is, is himself. So. Yes. Why, why is he describing himself in that way? Why is he describing himself as a bridegroom at, this, at a wedding? What, what is that to do with anything at all? <laughs> well, this is the beginning, of course, of, of in the Old Testament, uh, the Messiah was never referred to as the bridegroom. But in the New Testament, Testament often, uh, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom and the church or the believers are the bride. Yeah. Well, this is the beginning of that relationship. At this point, Jesus has now called a number of disciples. He's going to get into more when we get into chapter three. But in this, at this point in time, Jesus has uh, started to call disciples and they're gathered around him. And so he's starting this relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. And, and this is, uh, while he's there with them, they're to be there to celebrate that fact that they're in the presence of the bridegroom. They're in the presence of God. And this is not a time to, to be sad. This is a time to be joyful. God has come. The bridegroom has come. He's here with you. And so these, th this is the, this is the world that we find ourselves in. He's trying to get the Pharisees to see it, but more importantly, I think he wants everyone else to see it. I think he wants his his followers to see uh, this is a time of celebration. While I'm here with you, it's time to, it's something to celebrate. Yeah. I love what you're saying here. It's about the sense of Jesus creating, starting something completely new. And it's the church that's being described here. Yes. If we think about it, um, you know, that's a momentous, a momentous thing that's, he's suggesting is starting here. Yes. Um, but I, I have to 
if I'm honest, I have to take issue with you slightly because you said about the bridegroom not being mentioned in the in the it's Old Testament. I, I, I don't know if this is true, because honestly, I haven't looked it up, but I remember reading that um, there is some reference to the bridegroom in the Old Testament um, yeah. and connecting with the Messiah, um, not to do with the church, although I'm not disputing what you're saying, because I think it's absolutely right, but to do with Israel. So there's some, some idea about the Messiah as bridegroom coming to restore relationship between God and Israel, yeah. which had broken down, basically. Um, Israel had been unfaithful. The bride yeah. had been unfaithful. Yes. But God was coming through the Messiah in the form of the Messiah. Right. In the person of the Messiah. Certainly, certainly he talks about the children of Israel being an unfaithful bride. He did talk about that. I think it was in the book of Nehemiah. I, as I said, You've got, you've had great Bible scholars on here. I've listened to some of your podcasts, great Bible scholars. I'm just an entertainment guy sitting out here in Los Angeles at six in the morning. What do I know? So your listeners, your listeners should look up anything I say and make sure that it's true. But uh, yeah, but I, I, I think you make it. I think from, from the Pharisees point of view, they're not, they're probably not thinking, oh, Jesus is starting a church. What they're no. thinking, but what he's trying to teach them is no, this is actually a fulfillment of your scriptures. Listen, this is this is something yeah. really powerful that's happening. Yeah. In fulfillment of the promise of God. Yeah, absolutely. I, I one of the things, I mean, if I could just get really personal for a second, one of the things I love about Jesus and and his life was that he did everything opposite of how we would have done it. If you and I had been putting a religion together, we would have done it a certain way. Yeah. Um, Jesus did it exactly opposite. So the Pharisees had put a religion together. They had sort of made something uh, into their own religion. Jesus was doing everything exactly opposite. I've heard people refer to it as the upside down kingdom because Jesus did everything upside down. I mean, if, if you were going to bring a Messiah into the world, you would make him a king. Yeah. He would be a prince born in a palace. When Jesus came, he was a baby born in a manger, not even a house, a manger. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to have power, you would defeat your enemies. You might kill them. You might bring them into submission. Jesus gave up his life. He surrendered. He gave up life so that we could have life. And to me, it's the most interesting thing. Every time I think, well, the way I would do it would be this. And you look at the way Jesus did it, and it was almost always the opposite. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the Jews were very big on revenge. But Jesus said, someone asks for your cloak, uh, give it to them. Yeah. If they ask you to walk one mile, walk two miles. In other words, he... he Jesus brought about a new way. Yeah. He was not looking at the old way. He was coming about in a brand new way, in a way you and I, Steph, if we're honest, yeah. you and I would never, ever it's conceived a way that was so different, so upside down, so, so anti, uh, just just against our instincts, anti-instinctual. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We just wouldn't think of doing things the way Jesus did them. Yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah. it, you know, the disciples even, and you'll probably talk about this later on in the book of Mark as well, but all the rabbis, all the rabbis at this time were considered teachers and, 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 and people who wanted to study more would apply to become a rabbi, a, a, a student of the rabbi, make application as if they were making application for university. But with Jesus, Jesus called them. Yeah. He, he said, I'm calling you, Levi, I'm calling you. you. You're not applying to be one of my students. I'm calling you out. And today he calls each one of us, yeah. calling us. And um, it's just the different way that Jesus went about doing everything. So it's not a surprise to me 
that he was a little bit of a thorn in the flesh of the, um, of the Pharisees because he was doing everything opposite yeah. to what they had been teaching. I love the way you say, I want to be personal about this because in, in, in explaining what you've just said, you've mentioned several times, you know, this is not the way we, you and I, would have chosen to start a religion. Yeah. And it's almost like Jesus is, is being deliberately counter-cultural. Mm. Um, mm. But it just shows how, you know, how easy it is for us to miss the point. I mean, we could, we could sit here and spout all we like about what we think God means, what he wants to do, etc. But so often, I think our human mentality and our instincts, as you put it, gets yes. in the way of really, truly understanding. And, and here, here God comes along, as it were, and shows the truth. It's so different to how we would, we would expect it to be the case. And the Jews were no different in those days. They expected the Messiah to be a certain person, like a king, as you say. Yes. And he's completely the opposite. He's the most humble human being ever who dies yes. the most inglorious death. Yes. Um, it's just so different. And I think we ourselves, we've got to take a, we've got to be careful about how we see and speak about these matters, haven't we? Because we can yes. get it so badly wrong. Yes. Oh, no, that's a very good point, Steph. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking, really, the world has the wrong impression of Jesus. Yeah. They, they see Jesus well. He, you know, they see a statue up on, on the top of a church or somewhere, and they think of Jesus as being this establishment figure. But really, he came to be the most loving gentle, uh, in a way controversial, but he wanted to be, he needed to be controversial. He needed to mix things up. He needed to shake up the traditions that, that, that Judaism had become. Uh, so tra about traditions. And if you didn't follow the traditions exactly, you weren't a good person. Um, and we get into this now in the, in the next section, when Jesus says, you don't sow a new piece of cloth on an old garment because when you do it will start to it, it will rip yeah. uh, and you don't pour new wine into an old wine skin because it will burst yeah you you can't just take this old religion that you guys have developed over a, a few thousand years and slap something new on it it's got it's a new thing it's what, a brand what new, thing. new thing what he's got what he's doing what he's saying is a new thing is that what he... a new thing. yeah exactly what jesus was bringing it ushering into the world was something brand new yeah it wasn't it wasn't uh, putting a band-aid on an old garment or uh you know uh, pouring pouring new wine into their old wine skins I'll, I'll bring you some new wine to pour into your traditions it was a brand new thing it was something so new that it it couldn't be contained by the old yeah uh, I, I wrote down a few things that I was thinking about. So if you, if you'll uh, forgive me, yeah. uh, as Jesus talks about the, the the patch on the garment and the wine and the wine skin, um, you know, basically, I, I want to say that I think what Jesus is saying here in this in this next couple of verses is he's saying there's no compatibility between what you've been doing and what I'm ushering in. Yeah. You, it's, not, it's not like uh, I'm, I've come to fix the old system. Yeah. I haven't come to fix the old system. I've come to abolish the old system and to bring you a new, a new way to reach a relationship with God. Yeah. Um, the old covenant was about man's way to reach God through the sacrifice of animals. Yeah. That was, the, that was the, the Jewish tradition. They could reach God if they sacrificed an animal once a year in the temple, and that would cover their sins. The new covenant is about God's way to reach man through the sacrifice of a savior, of Jesus, of, of himself. That was the new way. So that's the new wine. 
The old covenant uh, was centered on man's faithfulness to God. How faithful can we be to God? The new covenant talks about, it shows us God's faithfulness to us through the gift of his son, Jesus. Um, the, uh, every other religion, every other religion, Steph, in the world, every other major religion in the world is some teacher, some good teacher, uh, showing what we have to do to get to God. Christianity, this new thing that Jesus is bringing, was showing what God has done to get to us. God has come down to us. And I, I think that's so, such an amazing thing. Uh, this is a very profound thing that Jesus is saying. I'm not here to patch up the old system. I'm not here to show you how you can get closer to God. I am God come to get close to you. And um, yeah, I, I, I think this is just profound. It's amazing. I think what I think you're bringing to the podcast is this, I don't know, kind of a bird's eye view of the significance of Jesus, Mark. You know, we're not just looking at the precise um, time that this event happened. What we're seeing is um, a much wider universal meaning. Yes. And how, you know, Jesus is so distinct, as you put it. Yes. From anything that's ever happened before and ever, ever since. Absolutely understanding who God is and coming to relationship with him. And, Absolutely. you know, that's so, that's so helpful. But yeah, for me also, I'm, I'm kind of, my own mind goes back to the, the, the Pharisees, the poor old Pharisees. I do feel a certain sympathy for them. I think, I don't know about you. I, I think that in this book, they're given a bit of a bad press, <laughs> but I, if, if you think about it from um from the point of view of being as generous as you can be towards them, that some of them must have sincerely believed in the traditions that Jesus is saying, no, 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 actually, this yeah. is not, you know, from now on, this is not the, the route. Um, I guess where I'm going with this is to think, to think about them and thinking about, Jesus is saying, basically, I, I, I don't think this, you know, if, if I simply added my teaching to what you do already, it wouldn't work. The two things, they would clash. The, the thing I'm bringing is so, is so new. It's so wonderful. It's so brand new. It's something completely different that if I try to mesh the two things together, it would, it would be a disaster. Um, so I'm basically saying the same thing as you, but I'm, I think, I think what I'm, I'm bringing to this as well is the sense that, yeah, Jesus is, I don't know, it's like, this is like, this is exciting. This is explosive almost what he's doing. It yeah, it really is. Um, and I think to bring this down to our personal lives, yeah. for each person listening, for you and I, um, often we think, what do I have to do to be a good Christian? Or what do I have to do to have a great relationship with God? How can I measure up? I've known people who turned away from the church because they felt they just couldn't measure up. Yeah. But Jesus is saying here, this is not about your performance. Yeah. It's not about what you personally do. That is not what brings you your salvation. What brings your salvation is what I'm coming to do for you. Yeah. And that's true of every listener. It's true for me. Yeah. It's true for you. And uh, this, was the, this was the difference. The old wineskin is a performance-based yeah. religion. Yeah. The new wineskin is a grace-based relationship yeah. between us and God. Yeah. Now, I get you. That's very, very powerfully and persuasively put i think what i was reaching for earlier though was this sense that structure is an issue 
yeah. wineskins are an issue, um, clothes are an issue. Do you think maybe the Pharisees, part of the Pharisees issue problem here is that they built this structure, um, a religion, if you like, that Jesus, the life that Jesus is bringing kind of didn't meet, didn't kind of relate to. And, and I wonder whether we could take that further in terms of church. Sometimes we can build structures and religion and laws and rituals, which have little to do with the life that Jesus is bringing. Is that, is that something you feel as well? Oh, absolutely. And no, I think you make a very good point, Steph. You know, it's, we as human beings, we like having something we can control. Yeah. And the Pharisees loved having something they could control. They had 64 different books that they had written about all the rules and regulations of being a good Jew. Yeah. And Jesus said, this, there's nothing about this you can control. This is a, this is a brand new thing. And, and, but I, I think it is our natural tendency as humans to want to say, well, if you do this, you're a good Christian. Uh, if you do that, you're a bad Christian. And frankly, there are certain, I mean, realistically, there are certain things that we should want to do if we're followers of Jesus. We should want to do certain things. But we don't live a performance-based religion. It's not what we do. It's what he did. And so I can be sympathetic as you are with those Pharisees because it is natural to want to control the situation. Here are the list of rules. There's one rule. And the rule is that we put our complete faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is what brings us into relationship with God. That's it. It's not a, it's not a list of rules. If we were to do that, if there were some listeners here today listening to us who, who've not done that, what would happen if they did that in your, in your understanding, in your experience? Well, if when we invite Jesus in, he comes in to live. And he, he doesn't come in to just patch up our old lives. Uh, you know... Someone may say, well, I'm not happy with this about my life, or I'm not happy about my actions, or maybe I'm an alcoholic, or maybe I've got marital issues, or maybe I've got problems with my kids, or, 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 or maybe I'm, I'm ill and I'm looking for something that will heal me and, and make my body better. Jesus doesn't come in to just patch up the old me. Just like he didn't come in to patch up the old religion, the old Jewish religion. He comes in to create a new me. Um, when he comes into our lives, we don't have to worry about so much about the things we're going to quit doing. We're going to stop this. We're going to stop this. Those things will come along because the more Jesus comes in and becomes in our lives yeah. and the Holy Spirit comes in and takes residence in our lives, those old things start to just pass away. We don't want them anymore. We don't need them anymore. That's not to say we're not without sin. Certainly we are. Uh, well, certainly I am. I'll just speak for myself. But, but, but Jesus comes in to live in us. He doesn't come to just, as I think C.S. Lewis used a, an illustration one time that I, I kind of love. You know, we think when we, uh, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we, it's, it's like inviting someone into our house to fix it up a little bit. Can you fix up our house a little bit? Maybe, maybe replaster that wall or maybe uh, add a room on over here. All of a sudden we find he's not trying to patch up the old house. He's not trying to fix the cracks in the ceiling. He's, and it starts, and sometimes it's painful. He's building a mansion for himself to live in. And that's what he's making out of us. He's making something brand new for us personally. So it's not a system of rules that we follow. Christianity is not about that. It's about no, no. a life that's being lived in us and growing in us organically. Yes, almost absolutely. It, it's uh, it's it's allowing 
Christ to live in us. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's so exciting, Mark. You know, um, I've, I've noticed time and time again when I've done the podcast, it, it feels like God, if I could be so bold, is reaching out to people through some of the words that come up in a conversation like this that he is available and he's he's really desires to have that relationship that you've described um which you and i both have experienced i think that, that um, yes changed our life around like jesus changed the life around of these guys here in in first century palestine it's amazing and 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 most of it is much of it is without even trying yeah it's it people talk about how how hard the Christian life must be, but, and it is in some ways, I suppose, but seriously, Jesus is working on us in ways we don't even recognize. Yeah. We're not even trying. Um, I find myself doing things that a few years ago, I, I wouldn't even have dreamt of because God has done this work in my heart. And you know, resentment, anger, uh, fear, things that used to be present in my younger life are no longer there. And it wasn't like I said, I've got to drive out fear. I've got to drive out anger. But as God does his work in our lives, these things are happening. And, and it's supernatural. It's, it, it can't be explained. I mean, until you experience it, you don't you don't understand. You think, well, I've got to do all this work. No, we just have the work we have to do is to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe you are the bridegroom. I believe that you have come to change the world and you've come to change me. And when we accept that, well, all kinds of wonderful changes start to take place. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I just want to build, I think. Um, on what you've just said about changing the world and changing me. The two things, they go together, don't they? Each they individual do. is important. And in terms of the global community. But there is this global sense too, isn't there? Even in this story, the bridegroom has come and he's sitting around a table with outcasts, and the most disreputable people in society. And he's mm -hmm. saying to them, welcome. And there's a celebration going on. It's a feast. It's full of, it's a place, you know, if, if we are at a wedding and the, you know, it doesn't always happen, but I guess most people would like our, the weddings that we go to, to be full of joy, um, good humor, yes. full of love, romance, um, not just a couple, but everybody united. Yeah. In a sense of celebration and togetherness. And I think what I think is coming through here is not just this individual change, but part of it is about God's desire for all of his creation. That sense of community. Yes. Of peace, of joy, of prosperity. This is his his dream yes. for us, all of us. Yes. Um, so, you know, I know some people can, and perhaps they've got a little bit of a point, if I'm honest, can, can criticize Christianity and say, it's all about me, it's all about the individual, it's all about my, my relationship with God, etc. Uh, I don't think that, that's a slightly unfair portrayal, but I can see how they might say that. But I think the scriptures, what this scripture does, in particular, is point to this much wider, under, much wider vision that God has yes. for the world as a whole, for the universe. Um, clearly, it's not something that's happening now. If we look around, we can see aspects of it, but there are many things going wrong here in this in this world of ours, and in terms of disharmony, lacking, lack, you know, injustice, all sorts of horrible things that are happening. But God's, God's vision is not unrelenting. And that's what Christ came to bring. And it's happened. It's happened in his day. It started happening, uh, his death and resurrection. 
continued that process and it's going to happen when he comes again there is that sense in christians believe isn't it don't they that god is going to make everything right and that's what the wedding is all about the wedding is where ev- it's a day when everything is right or seven yes. days seven days <laughs> when it's perfect <laughs> yes yes indeed wow mark it's been an amazing adventure with you today i i I felt my own sense of the, how how fortunate I am to have been called in the way that you've described Jesus in, in this gospel to a new life. My own sense of that has been reawakened and yeah, underlined as something so precious. Mm. So I'm, I'm deeply grateful to you for, bringing that alive in me. And I, I trust that for many who are listening, the same thing is happening, something very similar. Indeed. Yes, indeed. Thank you for having me, uh, Steph. It's, uh, it's been quite fun to discuss these things and uh, I think uh, good for all of us to dig into these things. Yeah. Um, and uh, I apologize for my American accent. You may have to use subtitles uh, <laughs> or have a translator uh, but uh, hopefully, hopefully I can be basically understood. No, I think you can. Yeah, and I, I think I should re- apologize for my English accent too. <laughs> I, I love the way. I mean, who knows which is right? Is it fast or is it fast? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. It's fast. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, thank. So I'm going to go prepare the tomatoes and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy that and and thanks again mark and god bless speak to you god soon. Bless. if you enjoyed this episode of question mark and don't want to miss any future episodes make sure to click on the subscribe button this also means other people can find the podcast and join the conversation we'd also love if you could leave a review so we know what was good and what we can improve for future episodes Join us and our special guests next time where we'll continue to explore the greatest story ever told together. If you want to get involved with the podcast or have any questions or comments in the meantime, please do get in touch using the I Am Mark social media channels. We'd love to hear from you. We'll light it up, we won't come down And the sun can't stop us now Watching it come true, it's taking over you This is the greatest show Where it's covered in all the colored lights And the runaways are running the night Impossible comes true, it's taking over you This is the greatest show